Ladies and gentlemen, this is Book Music. I am Tosh. And I'm Kim Lee. In every episode of Book Music, we discuss a book that is about music, could be music history, a memoir, or even a hint of music in its text somehow. And today, we're going to discuss probably, maybe one of my top favorite books so far this year. Mm. I think I said that about every title so far. <laughs> well, we've read a couple of really good books this year. Well, I love the Ian Penman book. Uh-huh. That book I love, obviously. But this is right up there, like match, you know, tie. It's a book by Luke Sant. It's called Maybe the People Would Be the Times, published by VCP. And what it is is a collection of uh, essays, articles, uh, collected, or a compilation of his writing, uh, pretty much of the 21st century so far. And um, Luke Sant writes about music, but he writes more than that about music. He writes about uh, art. He writes about photography. He writes about New York City. He writes about Paris, France. He writes about Paris culture and New York culture. He writes about punk rock. He writes everything from Patti Smith to George Simeon to what else? Um, <laughs> his range is quite remarkable. H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft, uh, Richard Stark, who I love. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing about Luke Sant is I feel really close to him. We're born, we're born the same year. Right. Um, and my taste in literature and music and art is very close to Luke Sant's already. Yeah. So he seems reading, like your brother from another mother. He does. <laughs> um, I met him a few times. I have never told him that because I, that's kind of creepy, I think. Sure. <laughs> uh, well, he might listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you are listening to this, Luke, and I don't mean to be creepy. No, but, no, you just feel a kinship with him. You're I feel strong. Aesthetic, same age, yeah. Probably of all the writers so far that we covered, I feel a strong kinship with him. Sure. Um, you know, his obsession was sort of like Fantomas type of literature, you know, French literature of the turn of the century. Yeah. Um, he's a very romantic writer, as it is to me, because he really makes what he writes about a very passionate thing. It's it, One of the great things about his writing is that he's very personal and it's something it's it's almost reading like a little memoir of him when he writes about another person or another writer or new york mm-hmm. and um you know he's just a remarkable writer and um and you know as i was preparing myself for this book today i started you know it's very cozy in los angeles right now and i was on the couch with a blanket and i was dwelling <laughs> into this book again you know, the reading parts of it, and yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> and I, I was slightly disappointed that I had to get out of the couch to do this podcast because uh. I'm reading the book. <laughs> but that's how devoted I am to you, Kimley, and to our listeners. That I yes, well, thank you, Tosh. <laughs> we all appreciate your presence. <laughs> we're, we're sorry to tear you away from your reading, but, but in okay. a half an hour, you can get back to it. <laughs> I mean, first of all, the title. Maybe the people would be the times. Yeah, it's such a great title. And that is actually a song by uh, Arthur Lee of the band Love from the great album Forever Changes, one of my favorite albums of all time. 
Hmm. And the original title of the Walter Lee song is Maybe the People Would Be the Times or Between Clark and Hilldale, which is um, uh, two streets that run across each other in uh, West Hollywood near the Whiskey of Go-Go. And um, the fact that he names a title after um, a love song is great. And he did a previous book of, uh, of, um, of, of a, you know, like again, a collection of his writings, I think mostly from the 90s, uh, called Kill All Your Dar- Darlings. Have you read mm-hmm. that one? No, I haven't. I've read several of his other books, but I haven't read that one. And Kill All Your Darlings, you know where that comes from? You're going to be yeah. scared about this. Are Uh-oh. you sitting down? I am sitting down. It's going to be shocking. Okay. Kill All Your Darlings is actually a Boris Beyond title. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's one oh. of the it's one of the one of the Vernon Sullivan books, I believe. That okay, uh, but that's not one of the ones you translated. I did. Mine was Wait, called with a um, different title. Yeah, the hell was the ugly. Oh, oh wow. Okay, that's a big change in uh, translation. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, okay. my translation is, is totally a new title. Um, yeah, yeah, first. no, yeah. All your translations had different titles from uh, previous versions. Yeah. So it's so you know here's a man who. Knows Boris Beyond, mm-hmm. knows Rimbo, knows Patti Smith, Richard Stark, George Simeon. What is wrong with him? <laughs> he tell yeah, me, he's definitely me. the coolest person. He's he's one of those people that just sort of has the cool radar. You know, I don't know. He he um, is attracted to everything that we find interesting. For, yeah, for sure. And you know, I just—it's just yeah. It's, you know, he wrote this other book called um, *The Other Paris*. Did you read that? No. It's really no. amazing. It's sort of about the under, like the underbelly of Paris of the of the teens and twenties. Oh and, yeah, yeah. Now I know which book you're talking about. Yeah, that looks good. Now the one I when I first uh, encountered his writing was when I first moved to New York in 1993. A friend recommended *Low Life*, *Lures Low Life. and Snares of Old New York*. Mm. which was the first book that brought him to any prominence. Yes. And uh, man, that book is fantastic. And it was like my guidebook when I first moved to New York. It was just, I explored all the neighborhoods that he talked about in the book. And, uh, you know, it's it's got lots of the old Ouija photos in it. And yeah. uh, it's such a fantastic book. And he so loves New York. And uh, that comes through in this book, too, that we're discussing. The maybe the people Well, I, that's the only book of his I haven't read is Low Life. Oh, you've got to read that one. It's I know. So you know what it is? It's like I as a favorite writer, I always leave one book I haven't uh, read. Oh, okay. It, it's usually their masterpiece. It's like their big you know, Right. Piece. I read all their little works, little essays. <laughs> but I, I don't read the big work till the very end of my life. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you're getting a little long in the tooth, Tosh. You better not wait too much longer. <laughs> ain't, ain't that the truth. <laughs> and, 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 and another thing, great thing about him, you know, he, he he's born in Belgium, and you know, and he went to America either as a child or early teens. I can't with his family. I think I he was know. pretty young, as my, he's like yeah. seven or eight, I think, when he first moved. So he's he seems very American to me in his writing. He and also I've been watching some interviews with him on uh, YouTube, and his accent oh. and everything is very American. Yeah. Uh, but the inter- he wrote a book, I think, it was, I can't remember if it was, um, I think it was The Factory of Facts. Yeah, was, that's like a memoir. Know. I read that one. That was good. Yeah. A great book, of course. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. what struck me of, of interest was that, you know, he's a European cultural person. 
low American. Right. And he talks about, in that book, I believe, about the difference between um, thinking in his own native language and then like English. And he has to sort of work things out in his head, Mm -hmm. at least in his early years. I'm not sure about now, but, you know, I'm married to a, a Japanese woman, and she has to deal with that as well as, as you know, yeah. living in America. It's like she probably thinks things in her native language, which is Japanese, and then change that whole cultural shift to English-speaking culture and, and language and stuff like that. Yeah. It's an interesting perspective to have because, you know, you came here, and so it's sort of an outsider looking in, you know, and then you sort of, then he becomes an insider, but he still sort of always has that ability to step outside. And I think that's part of what makes his writing so interesting, you know, that he, he can see things in ways that other people may not see them. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I really greatly admire about his work and about him is that he mm-hmm. does have this sort of slightly, you know, there's a slightly sort of like a, a, a man who fell to earth about him or, or an alien in a, in a, in a landscape. Like him in New York, he's obviously a New Yorker, but there's something extra about him, the way he perceives things, you know? And and when I read the first like couple of pages of um, the opening piece here, I think it was ESP, you know, he's just talking about what, what it's like to be on a subway train in New York. Right, and, right. Like at, like at so two o'clock great. in the morning, and it's like, you know, and then each stop of a subway, you know, that's a stop. Yeah. You automatically yeah. stop, the door's open, nothing, nobody comes in, nobody goes out. Yeah, doors yeah. get back in and I in reading is I could feel the weather you know it's kind of cold down yeah there. yeah I know I and know it's so cinematic uh-huh. uh and nothing is happening I mean all that's happening is that him or somebody's in the subway and this going with the rhythm of the subway yeah. in the middle of the night in New York and going to like a vacant uh, station doors opening doors closing right. and I had to read that like three or four times just for the pleasure of the music of his language. Yeah, yeah. He really pulls you in. It's the, the writing is so evocative and it's so pulsating, you know, and um, uh, it's got a beat and a rhythm to it. You know, it's very much alive. And uh, I, mm-hmm. I actually pulled a really fun uh, quote from uh, the essay, Maybe the People Would Be the Times, where he's talking about uh, Funkadelics, One Nation Under a Groove, which I thought was just the way he wrote it is just so... Like he really like even if you've never heard the song before, you feel like you've heard you're listening to it. So yeah. So he says, "Uh, the song already seems to be underway when the needle hits the groove, and it might as well never end since we keep taking the needle back to the start when it starts edging near the run out. It's a whole circus parade of sounds and effects: brass band, clowns, aerialists, prancing horses, confetti showers, giant paper mache monster heads. It will teach you how to dance if you don't know how." You let your ass fall into the central balance path carved out by the bass and hand claps. And then the rest of your body can align with whatever you want for however long you want. The half-tempo crooner, the squeaking synth, the chuckling guitar monologue, the drum fills, the whistles, the calls and interjections by what sounds like two dozen different voices. And it's just, I love his style, you know, it's just, there's so much energy and life to it. And uh, like, I feel like I, I know that song, even if, you know, if, I mean, I've heard the song, obviously, but if I hadn't, I still feel like I would have known exactly what it was, you know? Well, that's the beauty of his, you know, if I was going to write, you know, I do write about music, and when it gets down to something, it has a good beat and a nice lyric. <laughs> he can dance to it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's what I write. And then when, I mean, when, when you just quote the great quotation, yeah. Dave, it's like, um, oh my God, I got a picture of a carnival. I got a yeah. picture of my whole life. And it's totally correct. 
Yeah, that's funkadelic in a nutshell, you know. (laughs) And I can't do that. I can't. I can't write. I can't do that so far. So it's. I'm really impressed how he can do stuff like that. How he can write and articulate a mood or a feeling so well. Yeah. Um, He started off. No, he used to write poetry, and I could tell that he's a poet. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I never read any of his poems, but I could just tell by his prose work that the way he, it's so concise, you know, he doesn't, he's not an academic writer. He writes stuff that could no. be academic. You know, if you look at the book, thinking, oh, this might be academic type of, you know, essays by a professor, blah, 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 you know. Right. No, it's not like that at all. And it's just like really a guy who's totally in tune with his culture, a love of the culture, uh, a love of the history, and this really loves life, you know, yeah. and it's all a sword wonderful, depressing aspects of it. And he's such a um, seductive writer that he really pulls you into these little narratives and his interests. And yeah, you know, so again, for me, it's like, you know, I'm already there by his taste. Cause I have similar, I have similar tastes with him, but the way he writes about it is like, oh my God, it's like, this is like another like reason more to love that subject matter or- right. And, you know, you can trust him. Like, you know, I mean, I was familiar, you know, as my taste is similar to yours and his as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, there were some things in here that he wrote about that I wasn't familiar with at all. And so then I was like, oh, well, that obviously I need to check that out because I trust his taste, you know, and, and he makes it sound so interesting. And yeah. so it's a great way to learn about new things as well. So he's great about doing that and pulling you in and, and uh, teaching you about new things. And his, his taste is so esoteric and all over the place. I mean, there's definitely a consistency to it. There's a yeah. certain aesthetic to his taste but his interests are really wide and varied you know um yeah. he obviously loves photography there's quite a lot of essays in here on photography he has, he has a strong interest and focus in photography listen tell me if i'm if this is not a dream or not or if this is real but did okay. we not one of my times i visit you in new york when you lived there did we not go to a luxant curated show at a gallery in, in like in you know in soho was that with you maybe I can't remember now. And this is <laughs> that's so funny. Because when my memory of it, it was like Luke Sant's, it's a show that he curated and put together. Yeah, and now that you're saying this, it does sound vaguely familiar. And yeah. what it was is basically his collection of police. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, French police oriented literature and fiction. You know, including like George Simeon, uh, the Grand yeah, Toma, yeah, yeah. and also sort of Detective Magazine. There's yeah. like Detective Magazine. That was with you, uh-huh. right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's coming back to me now. Because I was already a big Luke Sant fan at the time because I got into him pretty right. early. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I'd totally forgotten about that. But yeah. I almost had like a Phil, Phil K. Dick moment there. Like I'm just making up these. <laughs> <laughs> it's with you. And I, was, I was almost prepared for you to say, no, not, not, not me. <laughs> You're hallucinating. No, no, no. Now that you've mentioned it, it totally comes back to me. Yeah. And I remember it was a good show. Yeah. And I remember, I think he also put together like a little like Xerox, not Xerox, I think something better than Xerox, like a little catalog to this show. Mm-hmm. And I tried to find it, but you know, I can't, you know. I don't. Yeah, did we buy copies of it when we were there? I, I feel like I did. I feel like I brought it back home to Los Angeles, but I, right. I don't know where it is. <laughs> okay, we're gonna have to Google that. I'm sure there's uh, evidence of this exhibit somewhere online. Yeah, that was a <laughs> or great. Maybe show. even on his website. His website has a lot of information about him. He has a good personal website. Yes. Luke's. 
And reading this book, I did discover a new artist. Oh, who's that? General Echo. Oh, yeah. I wasn't familiar with him either. I don't know if it's a band, but... Uh... He talks about a song called Arlene. Yeah, I listened to that. <laughs> I did too, and I love it. I played it like five times in a row. Did you? Yeah, it's yeah. a fun song. Yeah, I've never really been into reggae. He's clearly a big reggae fan. I yeah. mean, I like it well enough. I don't dislike it when it when you know it's being played, but it's not something I've ever been strongly drawn to. But yeah, um, but yeah, that's a great song. Yeah, and this you know, in the in the section called ESP, um, uh-huh. it's like four or five chapters, and it's sort of like this almost. It's you know, we did. I quote. We we talked about the subway as part of the, right. part of the series. They're each kind of little dreamscapes in a yeah. way. Yeah, and the general echo Arlene one is about him um, during the height of the punk, you know, New York punk era. Right. Uh, going to like a reggae like sort of club in yeah. some building in Soho or somewhere in, in Manhattan. Yeah. And he has to climb up like you know, like four stories up and. Mostly guys there, and it's like yeah, really yeah, and uh, you know, it's on all night and morning, uh-huh. and it's very dreamlike the way he writes about it. You know, like does this place actually even exist in real life? Yeah, that was a really fun essay, the ESP essay, and he has a couple different songs that he focused on. Uh, he talked about that doo wop song Florence by the yeah. Paragons, which I also listened to, which I'd, I'd never heard that song mm-hmm. before, and uh, Sally Go Around the Roses. Which uh-huh. is a fun song, um, but yeah, he 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 kind of builds these little environments. I love the essay uh, Twelve Sides." Is that what it was called? Oh uh, yeah, uh-huh. where he has he has actual photographs of old forty fives. Most of them are kind of beaten up. Yeah. Most of them are obscure titles, and then he gives these little histories of ownership. You know, there's always this romance to all of his uh, essays, and, and yeah. Um, I, I have to presume they're all made up, you know, stories, but they're so great. Uh, you know, so-and-so bought this record when they were 14, you know, yeah. played it this many times. <laughs> you can tell by the worn out groove or whatever in the <laughs> label. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and the, yeah, the 12 sides and it, it, it's, so it's 12 songs, 12 records, 12, 45 uh-huh. RPM. Uh-huh. And they're all soul songs. Yeah, I think they, yeah, I think they were, yeah. Uh, James Brown, Soul Power, Part One. Yeah, most of them were not songs I was familiar with. I think that James yeah. Brown was the only one I knew. Angel Baby, I know. It's a great record. He writes about that in a beautiful way. Uh, it's a man's, 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 man's world. That's probably the most famous one for me. Right, James yeah, James Brown. But yeah, it's like, there's like a picture, like a you know, black and white photograph of the label, like a beat up right. record. Some of them have the people's names written on. Like, yeah. you remember when you were a kid, you would write your name on your 45 because you'd take it to parties and stuff. Yes. You know? <laughs> and actually, this, that, that, section, that little section is actually sort of essential uh, and the perfect example of Luke Sant's aesthetic and work, you know, he yeah. didn't do like, you know, like places in its history. Right. right. You know, he writes about New York tenant apartments and like he lived in one and like, what is a tenant apartment? Yeah. Who lived before me here? You know, when yeah. was it built? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like a crappy environment now, unlivable perhaps to a lot, but when it wasn't unlivable in 1890 something or 1900 something, you know, he, he you know he he really focuses on objects, and same with photographs like found uh, photography. You know, right? Yeah, that essay on the found photography is really interesting. I mean, it definitely he likes to make these histories. You know, he makes everything. He takes sort of this minutia and he makes it very personal and gives it a very romantic history. And he has a lot of fun with it. Clearly, 
Yeah, and then he writes a thing about um, about his plot, the, the series of it looked like a series of photographs that he found somewhere, but it's actually photographs of his father. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, that was a really interesting. Yeah, he showed he had like two essays or mm-hmm. two photos. I mean, of uh, his father, and they kind of look alike, but at the same time, it, you could think they were different people because one was you know him as a young man in Belgium, and then the other one was him, I guess, in uh, uh, as a soldier. He was in uniform. Yeah, that was an interesting. He had some uh, photos of his mom. The essays on photography are really, really interesting. And because and, he, uh, he captures the whole aesthetic and culture, yeah, of that time period and photographs and why people took photographs of each other or why photographs come to be. You know, he's not a trained historian, uh, but I think that's part of his charm that he is not a trained historian. He looks at stuff right. poetically instead of like factually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He rather he rather see the poetry of that object yeah he gets more into the personal than than the sort of grand history of it it's more personal histories and the fact that he loves punk rock he loves like all the new york you know rock bands yeah i mean definitely you know we're cheating a little bit with this book because it's not entirely about music but Mm -hmm. a big section of it is and and music definitely is a part of a lot of the non-music essays that yeah. still will pop up in, you know, he'll be talking about jazz and the essay on Jacques Rivette and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, he was clearly obsessed with music and he was very much part of the scene in the seventies in New York and eighties. Yeah. You know, he, uh, when he's talking about seeing television, the way he describes television when he first saw them mm-hmm. at CBGB, you know, and he saw Patti Smith doing poetry readings even before she was doing music. He followed um, Patti Smith for a long time before, you know, the Horses album came out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was definitely on the pulse of that scene. And, and I think he knew, and probably still does, a lot of those people. And uh, he wrote lyrics for uh, Jim Jarmusch's band, which I didn't know. Uh-huh. Um, that was funny. I actually found a video on YouTube of uh, the band, uh, the Del Byzantines, I think was the yeah. name. <laughs> so yeah so he's been he's very music oriented um to me his writing style is has definitely a musical element to it you know it's very rhythmic um and the music is always at least adjacent somehow to everything i think that he writes about yeah music is sort of the foundation of sorts and he builds all the other Uh, mediums on top of that foundation right well i pulled this good quote from the the essay maybe the people would be the time starts out really uh pretty good about music he says so almost everything of interest in new york city lies in some degree of proximity to music if you are in your teens or 20s and who isn't pretty much everything you do apart from your day job has something to do with music and it isn't even just the permanent soundtrack on your stereo and in your head the music is your spur. You were led to the city by music. You were 14 or 15 and wanted to crawl inside the music. The music was immense, an entire world immeasurably different from the sad one you were born into. If you could figure out how to get in, the music would suffuse you. You wouldn't even need an instrument. You would become one with the music, and it would pour from you like light through gauze. <laughs> I love there that. You go. Yeah, yeah. So obviously music is essential. <laughs> You know, it's it's like food for him. He can't live without it, and I think that's probably why we like him so much. Yeah, and also it's interesting. He, you know, for us, CBGBs is sort of the the ultimate center of like New York new music. Sure, sure, it's the pinnacle. But, but he 
he avoids CBGBs a lot and talks about all the other clubs. I mean, he put the focus on, you know, other clubs at the time. And it, and it sort of says that, well, you know, CBGBs had its time, but, you know, there's interesting clubs after CBGBs. And that was interesting that he put a focus on that as well. You know, it's, it's you know, sometimes when people look back, they try to go for the easiest symbol and the easiest focal point, you know, CBGB, yeah. that's it. We don't, we don't need to know anything else really because that just, too many pages, too much work, you know, too yeah. much memory. But I think because he was part of it, you know, yeah. he really experienced all the other elements as well, that yeah. that was just as important to him to to get into it. I think they, there's an essay called uh, Base Culture, which really sort of gets into all the club scene. And, and that's where he really talked a lot about some of the other clubs and some of the bands that, you know, are less known and yeah i mean he definitely goes beyond the obvious and he and he also witnessed the birth of sort of the um of the hip-hop uh movement or the right uh, music at the time um and he talks about the beastie boys as well yeah i think he edited or co-edited a beastie boys book or something yeah he's yeah. a big beastie boys fan and i love him writing about when he lived in the tenant apartment uh, right was, there's an interesting, one of the essays was about how a, a car had crashed into one of the tenement buildings and <laughs> collapsed the building. You yeah. know, and he talks about how there was a big street party and everybody's dancing around with their boom boxes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he really brings that to life. And then it's funny because it's interesting, this, this collection of essays was written mostly like in the last 20 years. I think there's two or three that were from the 90s. But um, he, uh, a couple of the things, a couple of the stories come through in more than one essay. So like that tenement crash was in yeah. more than one essay. Now, it was the focus of one essay, and then it was sort of a side story in another essay. Yeah. But, you know, you can tell there's, there's sort of these... Uh, key moments in his life that really stuck with him and that was one of them <laughs> yeah it's interesting in that same that's in that same narrative um uh-huh. he was a neighbor to uh renee ricard right right and renee ricard is a uh, uh one of those great essential that fell for the cracks new york figures you know yeah manhattan he was like in the early warhol movies he was, you know he's an associate of that world he's a poet he's a painter um and sort of a character that's sort of bigger than life type of character. Yeah. And um, and Rene Ricard lived like a couple stories above him, I believe. Right. And and he told the story twice. You know, as you mentioned about you know the same narrative about the uh, building collapsing. Yeah. And also the story he told twice about um, uh, when Rene Ricard um, his apartment got on fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting. One mentions his name and talks about him. Yeah, and then he repeats that story, but he sort of hides his identity. Or this is like some uh, infamous legendary poet, or something. Yeah, yeah, no, I know it's Um, funny. That's like a New Yorker's biggest fear. I actually had a an apartment in one of my buildings in New York catch fire, and I tell you, it's pretty scary. (laughs) I can imagine. That's not an uncommon occurrence, unfortunately, in New York. Did you, did you go down the fire escape and the outside fire escape? No, no. Actually, I wasn't home when it happened. And thankfully, my neighbor um, had a fire extinguisher and she somehow broke into the apartment and put it out even before the fire department right. arrived. I what know. A, what I a, know. a real hero. The hero, for sure. That's, <laughs> That's awesome. a typical New York story. <laughs> <laughs> I was in Hell's Kitchen, though, not the Lower East Side, but, right. you know similar kind of story yeah yeah. 
Yeah, but um, it, it's fun because, you know, music comes up in a lot of these other essays too. Um, even sort of as a side, there was a really fun essay on uh, how uh, he talks about how the uh, most wanted criminals, the idea of having a most wanted criminals list ah. came up. That was yeah. a fun essay because I didn't know about that. And I, I, part of me isn't sure if he made that up or not, but it's a good story either way. Yeah. And uh, he says the idea was actually sort of inspired by the top 10 list of most popular songs. Yes, yes, yes. The most wanted criminals. Sure. Why not? And that became yeah. like an industry in itself. In the, in yeah, exactly. The criminal police. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody loves a list. Everybody loves to market something. Yes, yes. Top <laughs> 10 of everything, whatever. We all like that. So the book is full of these little narratives, his, you know, his critical looks of different writers from H.P. Lovecraft, George Simeon. I really enjoyed the George Simeon uh, piece he wrote. Yeah, I, I did too, because I, I didn't know that much about him, actually. I've read a few of his books, but I don't know a whole lot about him. And a lot of the stuff, like the Richard Stark and the Simeon, is actually... Um, I read them some time ago because they were introductions to um, to a particular novel by these authors. Oh, is that that's interesting. Yeah, we should let people know that these are mostly previously published essays. Yeah, uh, a lot of them from the New York Review of Books, um, Book Forum. So you know, it's a collection of previously published essays. But I don't. I may have read one or two of them before, but I can't recall. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. I mean. Yeah. Most people read books, you know, they know that, you know, who can, you know, whatever, I reread it. But really, you know, sometimes, a lot of times the uh, the writer re-edits or redo their introduction or the writing yeah. Yeah. For, you know, for, the, for the book medium. Right. Well, plus it's fun to read it as a whole because, yeah. of, you know, there's an aesthetic to it. Um, yeah. you know, and, and the way it's organized is really nice. And, um, you know, like I said before, you, you learn about stuff that you didn't necessarily know about before. And so... No. And I had no problems rereading this book in parts or in whole. Right. As soon as I let you go, you're going to go back to rereading Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Right? Yes. I feel terrible that I pulled you away from it. It was pretty horrific. I have to tell you. But, you know, my duty the to sacrifices you must make for this I podcast. Know, I know. I know. I <laughs> know. But I do for you and the dear public. <laughs> um, well, we're forever grateful, Tosh. It's my pleasure. Well. Another book that we highly recommend. Yes, yeah, so Maybe the People Would Be the Times by Luke Sant, published by BC, BCP Press Books. We should let people know that stands for Verse Chorus Press. I totally forgot about that. Thanks for bringing yes. it up. <laughs> and um, it's, I can't highly, we both can't highly recommend this book. Yeah, more. and any Luke Sant book. He's a yeah, any Luke Sant. You see that name? You're, it's like it's it's a good brand. Just get it's it. Golden, yes. It's golden. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to Book Music. So next time we have another exciting book. Um, we are going to be discussing "It Came from Memphis" ah. by Robert Gordon, and yeah. this is exciting. It's a 25th anniversary edition. The book originally came out in 1995, but it has been newly reissued, updated, and revised, and it's got a lot more photos in it and uh, more text. So we are really looking forward to that. Uh, we'll be on our next podcast. For... And we'll be interviewing the author. Yes, we will. We're very excited about yeah. that. Yes. Um, so definitely follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all the latest news. And we will have playlists for this episode and playlists for all our previous episodes um, on Spotify and Apple Music. And we can, uh, there's links to everything on our website at bookmusic.com, B-O-O-K. 
M-U-S-I-K.com. So thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.